Have you ever wondered about your salvation after you submitted to Christ and committed your life to Christ? Uh, those of us who've gone through the process of, doing, of committing your life to Christ, uh, maybe we've had a period of time where we weren't really doing all that we could. Maybe we got burnt out. Maybe we got overwhelmed. Maybe we got distracted and pulled into the world. And maybe we started thinking, have I done something to lose my salvation? Have I made some mistake? Is there something that I need to do in order to make up for my sins and the things that I've done wrong? It's, uh, I've heard people after coming out of the waters of baptism, what do I do now if I sin? And the question is really not if you sin. <laughs> the question is when you sin. Uh, and the answer is what? What do you do when you sin after you've been baptized? Is there something else that is required of you uh, every time you sin? What must you do? Well, the picture we get in Romans chapter 3, verse 23 is that all have sinned, Paul says, and fall short of the glory of God. The picture is not that uh, you sinned in the past, you were saved, and then you never sin again, and you're, you're good, but that you are in a continual state of falling short of the glory of God. And ultimately, sin is to fall short of the glory of God, of the image that God created us all to be. And so as we look back and we wonder about our salvation, maybe sometimes we think, well, maybe I should get baptized again. Maybe that would, that would be really nice. Or uh, maybe I need to do something extra, something beyond what I've done in the past in order to make up for those sins. And whenever we come to the book of Galatians in chapter 3, we see a very interesting scenario to help us with that question about what are we supposed to do about our sins after we're saved? Because as we read this text and we study it, we kind of get the impression that the Galatians have been deceived into thinking that they needed to do something else in order to be saved. And notice what Paul says to them. Verse 1, O foolish Galatians! Wow. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. As we read this text, maybe there's a lot of questions that pop up in your mind. And this is the reason why we're, we're only sticking to these nine verses, because there's a lot being said in these nine verses. And I hope that we can work our way through these verses and understand them better. But really, this is a continuing dialogue that we find in the letter to the Galatians. It doesn't start in chapter 3, verse 1 with, O foolish Galatians. How, how scary would that be? I mean, he said some pretty 
uh, rough stuff throughout this book, right? I'm astonished that you're so quickly turning away from the gospel, right? There's a, there's a lot of harsh and, and very critical words used by Paul throughout this letter. But he doesn't start with, oh, foolish Galatians. That's where he gets to after laying the groundwork in the first two chapters. And, and really, all of chapter 3 is connected. We just don't have enough time to talk about everything that's in this chapter. So we're just going to start us off down this path and continue it in the future. But what we see here is that Paul has an issue with the Galatians. It's very obvious, the first two chapters. But to say, oh foolish Galatians, shows that he has a serious issue with them and what they've been doing and what they've been believing. And can you imagine being in the churches of Galatia and having a letter brought by, that's from Paul and having it opened up in front of the whole congregation and getting to this point where the reader says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Imagine that you could hear a pin drop, right? Everybody wondering, what, is, what, what have we done? We're foolish? We've been bewitched? You know, that's, that's, a, that's a very condemning kind of statement. And so... That's what, that's what the impact is as you read through this. That's what's going on in this text is that Paul is trying to get them to listen very carefully to what he's trying to say. This message is about your salvation. This is very, very important information. What is it that they're doing wrong? Well, as we read through this, we're going to see that they're forgetting the original gospel that was preached to them. They're forgetting the things that Paul spoke originally. We remember in the first chapter how he said, the gospel that I preached has not been man's gospel, but it was the gospel that Jesus directly revealed to me. And I've been preaching it ever since he revealed it to me. And I didn't go to the apostles in order to get their verification until years later. This is God's gospel. This is Jesus' gospel. And I preached it to you. It is the purest form of revelation to the truth that you are going to get. And, and here we see the picture. They're foolish because they've forgotten. They've, they've left behind what Paul has originally said. And they've begun to doubt their initial salvation and the basis of it, which Paul had given to them back whenever he first came to them and preached the gospel, as we can read about in the book of Acts. What's happening in Galatia and all these churches is men are coming and preaching Judaism. They're preaching you must be circumcised to be saved. You must uh, eat the, the clean meats and you must uh, abide by these Jewish laws and Jewish teachings. And these foolish Galatians are believing those things. So that's why Paul writes this way. Because what's happened is a, is a tragedy. They had it. They believed it. They, they, they were fully in the saved condition. And now they're losing it. They're giving it up. They're forgetting it. And Paul goes on to try to help them recover what was lost. In the first five verses, we see Paul pointing to their original experience whenever they believed, whenever they were saved. And notice what he says in verse 1, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was 
publicly portrayed as crucified. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, these are men and women who live in Galatia. They were converted because Paul came into the area and preached to them. They were not in Jerusalem the 20 years prior whenever Jesus was crucified, and yet here's Paul telling them, it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. It's helping them to understand that at, at the beginning, whenever the gospel was preached and the information was, was shared about Jesus' crucifixion for their sins, it was real to them. It mattered to them. It had great value and significance to them that led them to the repentance and the baptism and the reception of the blessings that God had promised to them through Jesus. And so he says, you saw Jesus crucified for your sins. You saw yourself as an unworthy sinner who needed forgiveness and you saw Jesus as the sacrifice that was hung up on a cross so that you could be forgiven. You, you saw that. Do you not remember that? Your salvation is based on, founded in, the message of the cross. It's a very important idea for them to understand as they think about whether or not they're saved and, and whether or not they should follow after these Jew, Jewish teaching uh, men and, and women maybe who are teaching this false gospel. Do you remember Jesus? You remember in the last chapter, in verse 21, the very end, it says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The picture is, Christ was crucified for the purpose of forgiving us of our sins because we could not forgive ourselves. We could not provide for our own salvation. It was impossible. And so he says, it was before your eyes that you saw Christ crucified for you and you responded to the gospel message, the good news about your Savior. Then he says something very interesting in verse 2. He says, let me ask you only this. Anytime you hear that, it's like, well... This is the only question he needs to ask, right? Let me ask you only this. This is the question that will cut to the heart of the issues. He says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Okay, we got that. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, what does that mean, receive the Spirit? Well, as we look throughout scriptures, maybe you're a little confused. Whenever you hear those words, your eyes get big, your ears pucker up. You're starting to wonder, what is this about? Uh, how does someone receive the Spirit? Did they receive the Spirit? What did that look like? Well, to receive the Spirit is actually being seen throughout scriptures in two different ways. Uh, we've been looking at the book of Acts, and we've seen both ways in which the Spirit is received. There is the way in which the Spirit was received by the miraculous signs, the miracles that the disciples did. They received the Spirit in a way that resulted in miracles being done. And then there's the, the Spirit being received, the gift of the Spirit coming as a result of baptism. And that is all connected to this idea we've been studying in the book of Acts 
that the Spirit was poured out. And that meant all the blessings of the kingdom were being provided to you. The redemption, the, the, the kingdom, the salvation, the forgiveness, the sonship, the inheritance, all of those kinds of things are wrapped up in the pouring out of the Spirit, and that is the gift that is being received whenever we are baptized uh, in the name of Jesus. Notice this is not the miraculous kind that he's talking about. He's not saying, did you receive the Spirit in the miraculous sense because you did works of the law or because you heard and had faith. The Spirit in the miraculous sense was not given because people heard and they had faith. Not in the miraculous sense. It seems as we look at the book of Acts that it was given by the laying on of the apostles' hands 99% of the time. It, it fell on the apostles, it fell on Cornelius, they spoke in tongues, but every other time, abilities to do miraculous things happens through the laying on of an apostle's hands. And so it's not really about receiving the Spirit by having faith and hearing with faith or by works of the law. It's not about miraculous, it's about receiving the grace of God. Receiving every spiritual blessing. Whenever you read, receive the Spirit, he's talking about receiving the pouring out of the Spirit. Look at verse 3. And that, that really confirms this idea. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That's what the pouring out of the Spirit was all about. It was about forgiveness. It was about receiving the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins, that cleanses us, makes us holy to God, and, and perfects us. And so, yes, of course, verse 2 is talking about receiving the pouring out of the Spirit, the forgiveness of sins, the redemption that was always promised throughout the Old Testament. It's the promise of the Spirit was received. How was it received? Was it received because you did all these works that were according to the law, and you were righteous enough to deserve it? Well, no. In the book of Acts, we don't see that these Jews were told by Paul, or by Peter, you need to be circumcised and you need to uh, keep this law and you need to keep that law and keep that law and that law and that law and that law and all these laws and then you can be forgiven of your sins and you can receive the gift that God is offering you. No, that's not what Peter said. He said, you, you repent and you are baptized and you will receive these gifts. They were received because they heard the message, they believed it, and they submitted to it. Whenever we, we read hearing with faith, it's encapsulating the idea that they heard, they believed, and they submitted. Hearing with faith is the idea of submission. You look later in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, and verse 26, you see... In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The idea of faith is connected to the idea of being baptized and repenting of your sins. And so whenever we read here that did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith, we clearly understand salvation, forgiveness, redemption, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places was given to the Gentiles in Galatia not because they became Jews, but because they heard the message, they believed the message, they submitted to the message, and they did whatever God wanted them to do at that moment, which would be repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. 
Next, he says, verse 4, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? This is interesting. He's pointing back to their past experience. Whenever we go into the book of Acts, we read about them suffering persecution in Acts 14. Uh, This is the the region where Paul was nearly stoned to death by the Jewish non-believers. Okay, so there is suffering that has gone on in the, in the churches of Galatia. And Paul is pointing back to those experiences. You saw Christ crucified. You received the Spirit by faith. You have suffered in Jesus' name because you believed at the hands of these Jewish people. Did you do all of that in vain? Did you do it in vain because... You were never really saved then, and now you got to do all these works and become a Jew in order to be saved. Is that, is that really what you want to do? Is that really the life you want to live? And he's making this point. You don't want to give that up, do you? Imagine they would be very happy with, with their willingness to suffer for Jesus' cause for maybe a decade, maybe two decades. They've been suffering for quite a long time now. Are they willing to give that up, that fruit that they had bore? And then he says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Like I said, two ways in which the Spirit is talked about. This is the second way. Notice the connection to miracles. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you? Now is the implication that Paul has laid hands on some of them and they're doing miraculous, they have miraculous spiritual gifts, speaking prophecy, speaking in tongues, things of that nature. He says, you've been doing that all along since I laid hands on you. Did God allow you to do that because he wasn't pleased with you and your status and your salvation? Was he doing that even though you were in an unsafe condition because you hadn't yet been circumcised and you hadn't yet eaten the food that's clean and, and all of that? You've not made these major sacrifices to become Jews? Is that, did, did God do all of that and make a mistake? No, of course not. You see in, in these verses that What they're doing is foolish. They are contradicting their salvation. Everything they have learned from Paul is being thrown under the bus. They're forgetting about it. And they're believing that salvation now uh, comes because of their willingness to obey the law. Not about Jesus dying on the cross for their sins. Not about God showing amazing grace and love and providing forgiveness of sins. Because they heard the message and they believed it and submitted to it. No, it's not about that. It's about how much you're willing to do. You have to do enough in order for God to love you and forgive you. And so all of that is really ultimately foolishness. And he calls it out. Then he goes further. and He's going to go further as we go through this chapter. But we'll talk about one more way in which he addresses this idea. And in the next verses, beginning with verse 6, he starts to tell them about The scriptures. He points to scriptures and he says, I want you to consider and think about what the scriptures actually say. The scriptures are actually very clear on this topic of are we saved because of all the works that we do or are we saved because of what God has done for us and we believe in that and we trust God. What does the scripture say about it? Well, he points to Abraham and he talks about how Abraham believed God, verse 6, and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
He's going all the way back to Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. What is it that God loves so much about Abraham? Was it that he did all the works of the law perfectly and he, he abided by the works of the law and he lived according to the works of the law and he was circumcised and he ate only clean foods? Is that what made God love Abraham and want to provide all these promises? Remember the promises originated with Abraham. Is that why they were given to Abraham? Because he did all those things. No, that's not why. In fact, his righteousness was before circumcision was even mentioned in the Scripture, before the law of Moses was ever established. Abraham was called righteous, not because of his works, but because he had faith in the God who told him and made him a promise. Go into this land that you've never seen, never been to, and I will give it to you. And I will make of you a great nation, and through your nation, all the nation, or through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He went to where God told him to go. He submitted to the will of God, and he followed the instructions that God gave him, not fully knowing or understanding how God was doing what he was doing, but believing in the goodness of God, that if he has promised something, he will certainly deliver it. Now, Paul says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. When we put our faith and trust in God, in his goodness, in his willingness to deliver on the promises that he's made, it is counted to us as righteousness, when we submit to his will and we follow his instructions, just as Abraham did, it is counted to us as righteousness. It may not seem like the most righteous thing for us to do, right? In our mind, we have a list of things that we have to do in order to be righteous. And so it may not perfectly make sense to us in our mind that hearing the gospel call, coming forward, submitting and committing our lives to Christ and, and being willing to be buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life, it may not make sense to us how that is counted as righteousness. But in the eyes of God, that submission, that commitment, that willingness to obey what he has told him. He has told us to do. God looks at us and says, that's my child. How amazing is that? That is a son of Abraham. That is a man, that is a woman who is following in the footsteps of Abraham. Who is no longer living for the world that he is currently engaged in and living in. But he's living for a, a country, for a home that is somewhere else that I have promised to him. And that's his focus, and that's what his life is all about. Amazing thing is we look at this text, especially in verse 8. I love verse 8. It says in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. I love this verse. Think about the implication of this verse. A lot of people think that in the Old Testament, 
that the, the Israelites were given the law. And if they wanted to be blessed and they wanted to receive the blessing, they needed to keep the law, which it actually says in Deuteronomy, if you do what I say, then you'll be blessed. If you don't, then you'll be cursed. But what's being said here and what's being implied here is that God knew he was going to save not those who, who do the works of the law. The truth is nobody could. That's not really the basis of salvation in the Old Testament. But that God knew all along that that law was purely given to show men that they're sinners. Purely given to help them understand how weak they are and how they fall short of the glory of God on a daily basis. And help them understand that they, they're unworthy of the salvation and the blessing. So that they would then have to rely on faith to live and to be with God forever. And Paul says, God foresaw, God knew that justification, that righteousness, would only be through faith. Not because of how good we are at keeping laws. And so he preached the gospel all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Did you know the gospel started in Genesis chapter 12? Not in the New Testament. When God said, In you shall all the nations be blessed. God knew that he was going to save all the nations, all the Gentiles. Not because they become conformed to a Jewish law that hadn't even been created yet, but because they would be men and women of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. We read about in Hebrews 11. We just studied that. Faith is the key. It is the main thing that distinguishes the righteous from the wicked throughout all the Old Testament. Do they really have faith and put their faith and trust in God? Or are they putting their faith and trust in themselves and in the gods they make up? And so God, we read, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. That everyone who put their faith and trust in God would live, would be blessed through the blessing that comes through Abraham's seed. Now, Paul has a whole lot more to say about this as we study through the rest of Galatians chapter 3. But let's just kind of put a mark right here and let's think about this a little bit. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Consider this message that God has given us. The Galatians, as they read this, are being taught that to trust in men and to trust in their own ability to be righteous is a failing thing. It's, it's foolishness to try to do that, to try to become righteous because of your own abilities and, and fulfilling the commands that God has given in the Old Testament law is a, a fool's battle. But he says the gospel instead depends on faith in Christ's ability to save us. That's what salvation is dependent on. Not our ability to be like Christ and fulfill the law, but our ability to have faith. It's not really an ability, is it? Our, our willingness to have faith in Christ's ability. That's what it all depends on. 
And this, by doing this, we're following the footsteps of Abraham. We're becoming his offspring, as he's going to get to later in this chapter. And receiving the inheritance, receiving every blessing that has been promised all the way from the beginning throughout the Old Testament. So that's what the Galatians would hear, and hopefully they would understand that and turn away from the false teachers and those who have been pulling them away from the gospel of truth, from the life of faith in God and obedience as a result of that faith, not in order to earn salvation by their obedience. So how do we apply this to ourselves? Well, you know, I've heard a lot of things. Uh, Should we conclude that uh, because of this, the Old Testament is a really bad source of laws for us to keep in order to earn salvation? So we need the New Testament laws, and we'll keep all the New Testament laws, and by doing that, then we will earn salvation, and that's really what God wants us to do. Is that what this is getting at? The Old Testament law was was unable to do that, but the New Testament law is given so that we can achieve salvation and, and obtain it for ourselves. Well, no, the whole point of this is not that the law of Christ then can make us righteous. That's not the point of this. The point of this is that faith is still counted as righteousness. It was counted as righteousness initially when the Galatians believed. It was counted as righteousness in the time of Abraham. It was counted as righteousness in the time of of Moses. It was counted as righteousness in the time of Noah and Enoch. It was counted as righteousness throughout all time. God sees the faith that is inside of us, the, the belief that He is good and doing everything that He promises and willing to and the submission to His will as a result of that faith. And He says, you're my child. By faith, we commit our lives to God. To serve Him, to be obedient to Him. It doesn't mean that we're saved because we're obedient. I've said this so many times, and I'm hoping it sinks in. We're not saved because we do the right things. We want to do the right things because He saved us, and we believe that He saved us. You've got to get that order right in order to be in line with the true gospel that is revealed to us throughout the book of Galatians. By faith, we commit... <clears throat> to an obedient life. By faith, we are baptized. And by doing that, we are added into the body of Christ. We become sons of Abraham, sons of God. By faith, we are baptized and we are circumcised with a circumcision that is without hands, he tells the Colossians in Colossians chapter 2. You want to be circumcised in order to be made righteous, let God circumcise you. Believe that's happening as you enter into the waters of baptism. That is what God is doing. Believe in the powerful working of God, as Paul tells us we're supposed to, and have faith in His working. Salvation will come not because you did all the right things, but because... God did them for you. God provided His Son as a sacrifice, and He accepted you when you submitted 
to baptism. Submitted and committed your life to repentance and accepted the gift that He offers you. So then the question becomes, if faith is so important, where do we get faith? We need lots of it, right? Faith is counted as righteousness. That's a great thing to have. Where do we get faith? Faith is described in Hebrews 11 as the assurance of things that are hoped for. That's what Abraham was doing. It's the conviction of things that you do not see. That's what Abraham was all about. We don't see the salvation that happens in our baptism. Are we assured that it has happened? Are we convicted that it has happened? And we read that faith is increased after that initial salvation. Faith is increased as we hear the word of God like you're doing right now. Your faith is increased as you learn about the promises of God and how God always fulfills His promises. How He is always good and true. And you can commit your life even more to Him and trust in Him to deliver the things that He said He would do. So I began this by asking the question, have you ever kind of wondered about your salvation? I don't think really anybody goes through and never wonders (laughs) I think we all wonder at some point. We might doubt. We might hear people say that we have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be a Christian. And what they mean by X, Y, and Z is uh, you have to evangelize in order to be a Christian. You have to attend every single service in order to be a Christian. They're just making up some works kind of system that is the law of Christ that we should be wanting to do. But to say that that is the basis of God loving us is leaving out faith and learning to rely on your own abilities. We need to be convicted, not that we saved ourselves, but that Jesus died on that cross to save us. That's why he started out the way he did. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified. Yes, I know we do save ourselves when we submit and when we commit our lives to Christ. It's very clearly said multiple times in Scripture. But ultimately, we're not saving ourselves. It's, we're, we're just, Jesus has done what we need and we're just, we're taking hold of that. And we believe that Jesus is willing provide forgiveness of our sins from the day that we're baptized all the way until the day we die and are raised or are just raised that the blood of Jesus is able to remove all of those sins as long as we have hearts that desire to do God's will I hope that if you're here tonight that you are fully convicted and fully assured. I hope that nothing that I've ever said has caused you to doubt. I hope that I've not given you the impression that an opinion of mine is a requirement. I hope that everything that you see is coming directly from the Word. What God has required of you is what we just saw in the book of Acts. And a heart, as we see throughout the book of James, that is actually obedient, that is actually willing to do the word, 
because you love God and you believe that He's rewarding you for the suffering and the trials that you go through for His glory. How are you saved? Were you saved? If you're here tonight and you've not yet submitted your life to Christ, you've not yet been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you've not yet chosen to live a life that is transformed, you've not yet chosen to renew your mind, to live a life that is looking into the Word of God and seeking to be more like Him, you can make a change right now, today. And we are here to help you in any way we can. If you have any need, please come as we stand and as we sing.